diversity, you know, the flow of energy and you know, create abiotic diversity. And we looked at some of the different kinds of, of organisms that would be found and, and so on. All right, so one of the things that uh, we also want to look at then briefly today is what are the things that are threatening that biodiversity, that are, that are actually work to reduce diversity? Now, biodiversity is important because the more, of, the more species and the more numbers of each species you have in an ecosystem, the more stable it is. Okay, when you have a, an ecosystem that has very few uh, species in it, then it's very unstable. And probably the simplest way to uh, illustrate that is a farm, okay? If you're growing corn, and you'll see the corn coming up here shortly if you're not already, uh, the only thing you want growing in that field is corn, okay? You don't want any weeds, you don't want anything else, you want only corn, okay? Simplest ecosystem there is, one species, okay? Um, it doesn't stay that way, not without a lot of work. Uh, whether you're using chemicals uh, to uh, uh, to kill the weeds, or whether you're uh, going between the row when they're small, plants are small, you're going through and, and tilling it so that you uh, are chopping the weeds up in between the rows. A great deal of that effort goes into maintaining that ecosystem because it is not a stable ecosystem. You cannot go out there and find ecosystems with only one species in them. They don't exist except where humans are maintaining them, okay? The more species you have, the more stable it is because then if you have a change in one of the species, it has much less impact on the ecosystem. And most ecosystems have hundreds of thousands of species in them. But the, the simpler they become, the less stable they become, okay? Uh, so that, we're gonna look here at a, a few things that would do that. So. We look at uh, the number of species, uh, genetic diversity, uh, the number of different ecosystems in an area, why they need to be resilient, and how loss of species interferes with. Uh, so, so why is biodiversity important? Okay, well, these are just some of the, the things that go on. Uh, uh, ecosystems maintain uh, the, the purity of air and water. The more plants you have, the more uh, things they're taking out of the air and uh, using uh, water purification when you have a lot of, when you have a forest, when it rains and, and, and that you have runoff, most of that runoff ends up, it, it happens slowly, it percolates through, it ends up being very clean water as opposed to where you've just, let's say, had a clear cut uh, where you get lots of erosion and you get a lot of silt and, and other things in the water. Um, they moderate climate. Okay, uh, the climate is different in the Amazon uh, basin because of the rainforest. All of those plants, well, then there's a lot of big areas of that that don't exist anymore. But what those plants do, all of the when where it's intact, is they're all transpiring all day long, right? Remember transpiration with plants. This creates water vapor in the air. This changes the climate over the forest because of the water vapor they're putting into the air. So, uh, so they can moderate climate. Uh, I've noticed, uh, not, not where I live now, but in my other house, um, we, uh, well, I, I do notice it where I am now too. Uh, in the winter here, occasionally we get a frost. Not very often, okay? Uh, more often out here than down, farther down the peninsula. But I could come out in the morning and if I, where I was parked, my car, which was outside at that time, if it was under a tree, there'd be no frost on the car. If you go to the neighbor's, somebody else's house where it's, their car is out in the open, the car is covered with frost. Well, why is that? Well, the plants moderate what's going on. They change the temperature. Okay? So, uh, so detoxification. Uh, they maintain soil fertility. That's, you know, ecosystems are important for doing that. Erosion control, nutrient cycling, we talked about that before. Um, and then, uh, of course, we are always interested in what is that ecosystem produced that we can use, okay? Um, although that's not the only reason for their existence. All right, so uh, there, there's a, a number of uh, organizations 
that have gotten together and looked to see where on, on the planet are there high biodiversity areas. And they call them hotspots. It's where there's high biodiversity. Uh, compared, that doesn't mean that they, it just means that the high, really high diversity. Other areas have diversity, just not quite as much. And you can see that most of them are in relatively tropical, subtropical areas. Okay? So these are all the, the locations that have been identified okay, so far uh, as uh, the relative hotspots. And so these, uh, when you look at uh, preserving an area, um, whether you know the formation of parks or some kind of preservation or uh, conservation, uh, this is where they're concentrating their efforts on these uh, biodiversity hotspots uh, because they're, they're like they're all the rest uh, they're threatened as well. Okay, and so these these are important to protect uh, or at least attempt to protect. So biodiversity is definitely declining. Uh, this is a very well uh, documented at this point. Uh, so the, the uh, now it's not it's not like it's falling off a cliff here, but you can see there's a definite downward trend. Whether you're looking at freshwater, marine, terrestrial, vertebrates in general, there's definitely a downward trend. In other words, more species are going extinct right now uh, than had been the case. Uh, back in, say, 1700s, 1800s, uh, and uh, probably, uh, probably make the case that the humans are involved with this. Uh, so, what causes the loss of, of biodiversity? Uh, we'll take a look at some of these. Uh, these are the different uh, things, so we'll just take them one at a time. Okay, so the first thing is, is habitat loss. Um, Habitat loss uh, it means that those species have nowhere to live, or at least you've reduced the space in which they can live. Um, the, uh, in the upper, uh, upper uh, photograph, uh, it may be a little hard to see, but this is, these are areas where, the, where it's been uh, clear cut, uh, and you can see the roads running through it. This fragments your, your ecosystem. This inhibits species movement in the ecosystem, okay? This is what we mean by fragmentation. Okay, now habitat loss is simply clear-cutting uh, hundreds of thousands of acres of the Amazon rainforest. That's habitat loss. That habitat is now gone. Our animals that live in that habitat can't live there anymore. Okay, so habitat loss, basically it's like taking your home away from you. And now you're out on the streets. And we don't do well that way. Okay? Take away the habitat of an organism, it has nowhere to go. They're, the organisms that were in that area, they will migrate if they can, and if they can't, they simply die out. Okay? Fragmentation makes it difficult for them to interact as they normally would. And we see a lot of, of uh, habitat fragmentation as well uh, by based on roads. You see all the roadkill around here. Okay. Uh, that's fragmentation. It inhibits the movement of the of the animals. Okay, uh, it uh, may mean that uh, plant species that don't spread their seeds as far a range may not be able to get across a barrier into another area of the ecosystem. So that's habitat loss and fragmentation. So it reduces the amount of habitat. It affects dispersal. It produces what is called an edge effect. Okay, here's an example of an edge effect. Field and, and the forest right alongside it. Now we know that there are specific species that thrive on an, where two ecosystems uh, adjoin each other. Deer are an example. Deer thrive where on edge areas. They can be into the forest where they can hide better. They can be into the field area where there's more uh, food for them to eat. Uh, and one of the reasons we have so many uh, deer, and, and deer populations are skyrocketing in, in eastern North America, uh, I mean, you know, because we create edge effects. We fragment ecosystems, we create a lot of edge effects, and deer thrive in that environment. There are probably more deer around now than there, than there, than there were. 
Okay, it's uh, it, there's an increasing population, which is carrying its own problems, um, you know, disease and you know, things like that. Um, and of course, interrupting wildlife corridors. Yeah, I'm not sure the the bear that's just kind of in there. I, you know, Habitat uh, loss. Animals like bears need large areas, undisturbed, because they have a, they need a lot of food. Remember the energy pyramid. Most of the energy does not move up the pyramid, uh, and so if you're a large predator, you need to have a lot of space in order to get the nutrients you need. This limits the population and also brings them into uh, conflict with, with humans more often. So, habitat loss and fragmentation is one thing that, that drives biodiversity down because you're going to lose species in that during that process. Deforestation. Um, okay, so uh, the, the, these are images uh, mostly from uh, tropical areas. Um, it changes the climate. Reduced transpiration means it's drier. You don't get you, have, you actually get less rain. Um, you get more erosion. Water instead of slowly sinking down through, uh, you know, hitting the leaves and being broken up into small droplets as it falls, and then soaking into the ground and going into the underground groundwater areas, you have less of that because there's nothing to block the rain. It hits, causes erosion, and it runs off. Okay, it's like uh, having, it's like here, if we get an all-day light rain that is much better for the ecosystem than getting twice as much rain in 15 minutes in a thunderstorm. Because most of the water, if you watch during a thunderstorm, it's running off, it's running down, down, down. It doesn't soak in, it doesn't have time. Okay? When you remove the forest, you lose more of your water in the area. You have higher runoff. Uh, and that degrades the streams, okay? Uh, and it also means more water going into the streams, not only degrading them, but it increases flooding. Because more water runs off faster and it has, it has to go somewhere. Okay. Um, now Houston's been facing that here lately. Of course, anywhere with 10 inches of rain in 24 hours. That kind of you'd have flooding here too. Uh, we don't generally get that amount of rain. The only time I can remember we had almost that much rain was during Hurricane Floyd, which is quite a while ago. Uh, it just it, we didn't get a lot of wind. There wasn't a lot of wind damage. It just rained like crazy for really hard. For we got like eight, eight or nine inches of rain, and that's the one that had caused all the flooding in Franklin and and those areas. Downtown Franklin was water up to the middle of the doors of the stores. Okay, okay. Why? Because so much water fell that it ran off fast enough, and it went into the rivers, and uh, it's got to go somewhere. Uh, and now on the peninsula, we have less trouble with that because it's not very far to get to water, you know, to get to the, uh, either the James or the York or something like that. Uh, the river that goes down through uh, Franklin has a much larger uh, area that it collects water from. And all that water just flows up. And that's what's happening in Houston. If you've been seeing any of the, the news about the, the flooding in Houston. Uh, okay, so if you keep the forests, you, you uh, moderate the, the climate, you preserve streams, and this is flood protection. Also, flood protection. We don't think about that part, <coughs> but it's also flood protection. Um, desertification is occurring, um, and, and this is primarily this is the Sahara, the Sahel, as they refer to it over in this area. Uh, about one third of the Earth's surface is uh, involved in this kind of thing. What you end up then is because you don't get much that grows there, you get overgrazing. You get erosion, uh, water evaporates quickly, which leaves uh, minerals behind. Water is not pure water. Water has dissolved minerals in it, most water. When it evaporates, those minerals don't evaporate with it, they're left behind. 
it's called salinization. You'll end up with salts being deposited, which then you, doesn't, things don't grow. Uh, deforestation, because there's not enough water. And that changes the climate. Okay? And this is the uh, Sahara has been, you know, the sub-Saharan area, if you follow what's been going on, has been slowly moving south. And more and more people in that sub-Saharan area have nothing. They can't raise food. They can't. They're dependent on, on relief organizations because right? they, they their normal way of life can't be done anymore, given the the, the conditions that they have. Okay. Well, climate change. Um, this one is uh, pretty much uh, a fact anymore. Climate is changing. Now, whether humans are causing it or not, is still there's still uh, controversy over that. It's pretty hard to argue that we're not involved in it. After all, you know, look at all we do to change things. But, uh, but basically, average temperatures are increasing. Um, there are, um, and there is, let me see here, I can, um, there's a website that The NASA website. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, a NASA website. Um, you notice that carbon dioxide levels are increasing. Global temperature since 1880 has gone up. Okay, 1.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's, that's why should we worry about that? But that does affect ecosystems. Okay? It allows organisms to move into areas where they didn't used to survive. Like in Texas, we now have uh, sand flies that carry Leishmania, which is a parasite, in southern Texas. They never used to be there. We have fire ants here in Tidewater, Virginia. They didn't used to come this far north because it got cold. One degree change means they can move farther north. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, I don't know if this is exactly the, uh, yeah, we have the hottest March on record, March 2016. Uh, so this is a, a website if you want to take, take a look uh, at some of the causes, uh, the greenhouse, uh, they, they talk about greenhouse. This kind of information is, is easily available. Okay? And so, um, so there's definitely a change in carbon dioxide levels uh, as well. Temperature's gone up, carbon dioxide's going up, there's a correlation. Okay, and the correlation, and actually a causation. This is the greenhouse effect has nothing, and I, one thing I want to make really clear, this has absolutely nothing to do with ozone. Ozone problem is a whole different problem. I see over and over people say, well, this is caused because we're the ozone. This has nothing to do with ozone. Okay, ozone does get involved, but it's not the loss of ozone in, in up high up in the atmosphere that has anything to do with the greenhouse effect. The greenhouse effect has to do with the accumulation of carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, some other gases that absorb heat energy. So sunlight comes through, impacts the earth, heat radiates back off, and they absorb that heat energy and it doesn't radiate back off the earth. Just like your car when you close it up on a hot on a sunny day. Okay? So light goes through the windows, impacts the inside of the car, heat's produced, heat does not go back out through the glass. It's hot in there. Well, same kind of thing is happening here. Uh, some of the things that we can uh, look at, well, ice-free in the Arctic, now that's just a guess there. But last year, the last two years, has been the, uh, the least Arctic ice, and it melts earlier. They actually, the past couple of years, 
ships have been able to move through the Northwest Passage in the summer without icebreakers. Okay, uh, that's you know unheard of. Okay. It's changing the environment. Okay. Uh, go to Glacier National Park. It was named Glacier National Park because there were glaciers, 150 of them. There's only 27 of them left. The others are melting and receding. The Columbia Glacier in, in uh, Alaska is one that's been studied a lot. Receding by miles. Okay. Why? Because it's melting faster than new snow is accumulating. Okay. Hard to argue that there's no warming trend here. Okay. And it's accentuated in, in, in uh, northern latitudes. Uh, okay. uh, now, the connection to extreme weather events, uh, that's a little more tenuous. But they seem, everybody seems to feel that as you have warming, we're going to see more extreme weather. Not that it's always going to be hotter. You might you may see uh, more storms in the winter, more snowstorms in the winter. You may see more storms in the summer. Uh, they may be more violent. Hurricanes might, because hurricanes feed on heat off the ocean. If the surface water is getting warmer, that's more energy into the hurricane, which will make them stronger. Now, last couple of years, we've been really fortunate. There have not been any hur major hurricanes in made landfall in continental U.S. a couple years now. We get complacent. You know, we figure out oh, it's not going to happen again. It will. It's just a matter of when. Uh, you, most of you were certainly here for Irene, I would guess, and, and uh, Isabel. You know, uh, we did a lot of damage. And, and here, we're really well protected. The storms have to go through over 100 miles of North Carolina before they get to us. You know, so they're really... Uh, their strength is already way down compared to being on the on the outer banks. Okay. So climate is is, uh, is changing. Um, let's see if I can find the Columbia Glacier one. Okay, so this is the Columbia Glacier here coming down out of Alaska. And this uh, is a look at it in 1956. And then you can see how it changes. Uh, 1989, uh, 97, it appears the terminus here. Here's where it was. Okay, uh, seven. happened in just this was from year, September 2001 to September 2003 that much of it disappeared okay. and then it built up a little bit again but it's crap these glaciers are if you go up to 2014 you can see that it has been receding even farther okay this is happening all over the world not just in Alaska. Okay. Um, now, Columbia Glacier, people would say, well, who cares? You know, it's just, it's just a glacier. It doesn't matter. But it's a symptom. It is an issue, however, in, in the Andes Mountains. There are many communities high in the Andes Mountains whose only water supply is meltwater from glaciers. Those glaciers go away. They have no water supply. What are people going to do? This does, this does impact people. This is not just a, an academic exercise. This is impacting people's lives. And it's, and it's going to continue to do that. Okay, so climate change. Loss of sea ice. Uh, this is... Uh, extent of uh, sea ice over time in August of each of these years, you can see that it's declining and declining more and more rapidly. Um, this is uh, the, uh, the Arctic and uh, this is 2004, 
2005, you can see the red areas where it's now seasonal instead of all year round. Uh, this impacts animals that live on the sea ice. It's impacting polar bears. Polar bears hunt on the ice. They look, you know, they hunt seals. They do it on the ice. When the ice is disappearing, the polar bears have to swim a lot. Now they can swim and they're good at that, but it's impacting polar bears. Polar bears are moving more onto land because they're not able to, to feed where they don't used to. There was a, uh, up in Alaska, there, uh, it also impacts uh, animals like uh, walrus. Uh, there was a beach up in northern Alaska last year that had over 2,000 walruses came ashore there because normally they'd be out on the ice and there was no ice left. Okay. So, th you know, this is impacting. It impacts in northern climates because there's permafrost. Uh, the permafrost is something we know nothing about here because there's no such thing here. But you go up north, there's an area, depending how far north you go, an area a certain distance below the surface of the ground where it is permanently frozen year-round, called permafrost. As it warms, that permafrost layer melts farther down, and guess what happens to anything that's built on it? The ground moves, okay? Uh, in Anchorage, when I lived there, there was an area where they had built on an area where permafrost was closer to the surface. You can drive through that neighborhood and you would see places where the garage and the house, which were once attached, were moving apart from each other because of settling from melting of the permafrost. Uh, this is, a, this is a, another impact. Okay. And of course we have melting and where's all this fresh water, all this water from the ice? This is on the Greenland ice cap right here. This, this is meltwater, um, calving of glaciers, and it's all going into the oceans. This is going to change the ocean, the salinity. It's going to change the temperature. We don't know what that's going to do. We're going to find out. It's kind of like a grand experiment, only we can't stop it. Yeah, man. 
It's not the only place in Greenland where this is happening. That peaks at 9.4 miles an hour. That's really good. This must be about a thousand cubic meters per second. That's not really Virginia is the first state in the in the U.S. that actually has set aside a uh, well, not a lot of money yet, but uh, trying to to get money to uh, to try to protect the coastal areas as much as they can from from sea level rise and, and warming. Norfolk deals with sea level rise every day of the year now. They have a high a high tide there, areas down there that flood didn't used to, but they do now. It's not going to get better. So, uh, you know, things are changing uh, in, in that respect. So, loss of sea ice affects both the biodiversity and then certainly is going to affect us. Uh, and these are some of the species dependent on the ice. Narwhals, uh, obviously polar bears, walruses, all of these different seals, uh, penguins. Uh, this is going to have an impact. <coughs> sea level rise. Um, there are island nations in the Pacific that are making plans to evacuate the entire island because of sea level rise is gradually nowhere left for them to be. There are coastal cities in, I know, in Alaska, a um, place called Shishmarev, that um, they're right on the Bering Sea. And due to seawater, rising and increased uh, severity of winter storms, their coast is being eroded away to the point that the village is, is actually about ready to go into the ocean. Uh, of course, you remember they moved the Hatteras Lighthouse because of, uh, they had to do that a number of years ago because of, of loss of, of uh, beach. That was more erosion. Uh, but, so sea level rise, uh, it's not a lot, okay? This is in millimeters, okay? So we're not really looking at a lot of millimeters. You may, and it sounds like, all right, 15, 20 millimeters. This is not a lot, but it accumulates year after year. And if you live on the coast, it doesn't take a lot of sea level rise for a lot more land to be underwater. Okay, so this is uh, estimated here, 400 millimeter rise, so 40 centimeters. Uh, all of this area of Bangladesh, which is one of the most densely populated areas in the world, it's all going to be underwater. It increases the storm surge when you do have storms because there's more water. It impacts agriculture. I mean, this is a this is a definitely a problem. Um, Okay, this is this is Shishmark. Uh, used to have a lot more land around it than it does now, uh, and now in the winter, uh, the winter storms that pile up the ice right along the, along here. See, they're just they're connected to the mainland by a very narrow. Actually, I don't even know if they're connected anymore. This is there. Uh, this is the runway so that uh, planes can get in and out. Uh, 
this is a like a seawall along here trying to protect. They don't know how much longer they can protect that. There are. Anyhow, this is uh, a significant issue uh, for biodiversity. Uh, this is the other concern. Uh, ocean water currents or ocean currents are driven by density differences. Uh, that uh, you have uh, the, the, the warm currents and then colder currents of warmer water moves north uh, uh, and then it sinks. Uh, as it gets colder, the cold currents come down, and where they upwell, this brings nutrients to the surface. Because uh, the ocean, is, much of the ocean, there's not a lot of nutrients in the in the top layers where most of the life is. Uh, wherever there are cold upwellings, you have a lot of sea life because there are a lot of nutrients are brought to the surface. The concern is that uh, that as more fresh water is put in and we get warming, that these currents may change. They made a whole movie about that, which is a kind of uh, well. Probably not very real, but uh, called the day after, day after tomorrow. I think was that, was that the name of it. Yeah. Uh, and the whole point of that was that the the uh, ocean currents changed. Okay. Uh, this is a, another concern. Uh, with this glacial retreat. Okay. Uh, here's some more glaciers here. You can see where they. This is where it was in '85. Here's another one here. Uh, you can see that. The, Uh, coral bleaching in, in, uh, in uh, coral reefs is, uh, occurs for a couple of reasons. One has to do with uh, temperature change, uh, stress the corals. Uh, they lose their, uh, their little green uh, algae that they are symbiotes with, uh, and then they, they bleach white, and then the parts of the coral reefs simply die. Uh, acidification is also the acid rain. We know that we have acid rain. Uh, if you measure the rain even here today, uh, it's not it's not a pH seven. It's going to be acidic. Uh, there have been many studies done over and along the Blue Ridge uh, and Skyline Parkway with damage to trees from acid rain. Okay. Well, that acid rain eventually ends up in lakes. Uh, there are, are beautiful lakes up in in some parts of New England. Absolutely gorgeous lakes. There's not a living fish in them because they're too acidic for fish to live in them anymore. Uh, and this affects the ocean too. pH is changing. As the pH of the ocean changes, this affects bicarbonate ions that are available for animals to build shells. Okay? There are many different things that are going to impact this. Uh, other consequences, I mentioned permafrost. Yeah, as permafrost melts, it leads, uh, releases methane into the atmosphere, which is a greenhouse gas. Uh, okay, so uh, these are just some of the uh, things that are, are going on. The droughts in the U.S., uh, this is uh, in 2007, the areas in purple and red were severe drought. We're pretty fortunate here, we don't usually have much problem with that in this area. It's hard to imagine what that's like in other areas where they have to restrict water use. You, know, uh, you can't water your lawns, you can't... Uh, you could be ticketed for washing your car on the driveway. Uh, you have to be, you know, you have to conserve water. California has been going through that. Tropical diseases, leishmaniasis. This is a protozoan uh, moving, it's transferred by this little fly right here. It's been moving farther north uh, into Texas. Dengue fever is a viral disease. Uh, it's, uh, carried by a particular species of mosquito. Uh, dengue fever is now being uh, found in parts of southern Florida. It used to be strictly a tropical area, but now southern Florida, the, the mosquito is there. Uh, it's a flu-like disease, but it's a common name among those who you know, may not know they have dengue fever. It's called breakbone fever because the pain in the joints is, is so bad it feels like you have a broken uh, and it can, there's a hemorrhagic, it's one of the hemorrhagic fevers, it's related to uh, 
uh, Ebola and those, it's not as severe as those. Uh, but it can become hemorrhagic and that can be fatal. Okay. So now they're starting to get some cases of this in Southern Florida. And of course, then there's the Zika virus, which uh, I assume everybody's heard about the Zika virus. And, okay. Anybody who does not know about that? Okay, Zika virus is a new virus. Uh, it was originally found in the Pacific. Um, there, this year, they've uh, had large numbers of people. It's transmitted by mosquitoes, by a specific species of mosquito. Um, and a large number of people have come down with this. Um, the virus is not a very severe virus. Uh, people don't get very sick with it. But what it does do is it has now been tied to birth defects in, in uh, children whose mothers were pregnant when they had the disease. Uh, and there are actually have been talk about uh, if you are thinking of getting pregnant, uh, don't be pregnant when you go visit the Caribbean or, or if you want to go to Central America or someplace like that because you have a high risk of, of getting the Zika virus and it is causing birth defects. Uh, now, they're working on a vaccine for it. So far, I mean, it hasn't been long enough yet for them to come up with that, but they're working on one. Uh, so, again, uh, tropical diseases are moving farther north. Okay, and then when you start to have changes to your ecosystem, you end up with problems with invasive species. New species move into the area, there are no predators for them, and they just spread like, like crazy, okay? Uh, we have a number of them in this area already. Uh, there's, of course, the northern snakehead, which you may have heard about. It's a fish that's found more up in the Potomac regions. Uh, it's a, an Asian fish. Nobody knows how it got here. They think it was probably released by somebody. Uh, it's basically a, a, a mouthful of teeth uh, now, uh, and it uh, outcompetes many other species. So they've been caught up in the, in the Potomac River. Uh, I can help me show you a picture of them. This is what it looks like. Okay. Um, so they're now being found uh, in parts of Virginia and Maryland. They, uh, what, the only thing that people have been able to come up with is that there are some people who fish for them and they said they're really good to eat. And so, you know, maybe that's one way you, but you probably can't eat enough of them to stop the, the uh, being invasive. Um, Okay, so that's, that's uh, an invasive species. Uh, Chesapeake Bay has uh, the uh, whelk. It's a snail-like organism that feeds on clams. Clams are one of the few species in the bay that are less impacted by other things, not like oysters are. Um, and uh, the rapa whelk uh, basically drills a hole through the shell and then, and then sucks out the insides. Okay, there was even a bounty for a while on them. The fishermen brought them up in, their net, in a net. They could take them to Vims and they could get money for them. They've stopped doing that, I think, now. Uh, but these species have no natural enemies here, okay? Uh, and, and so they, they spread rapidly. And then a few, uh, you know, the, the other one is, oh, what's the plant? Uh, Fine. Uh, we got kudzu here. Just drive out uh, past the stone house on what is it? Whatever that I don't know what the name of that road is. Uh, but uh, there's kudzu. You don't notice it now because it dies off pretty much in the winter. But you'll see trees completely covered with it. You'll see it actually moving, trying to grow across the road. Uh, it grows by the inches per day. It's an invasive species. Okay, nothing. We don't know what hard to stop. So they generally uh, have high reproductive rates. They, are, they disperse genetic variability. Uh, generally a, a generalist in their habitat. Uh, this is another one, nutrient. 
This is a rodent that was originally brought from South America to, for uh, fur farming. Um, they got loose. They uh, they burrow into the, the uh, banks uh, in wetlands. Uh, they damage uh, uh, the uh, levees in, in, down in, uh, in Louisiana, the levees around the rivers. Um, so you get river beds. And uh, these are the places where they have been found. Bigger. Uh, this is where they were released. They are in Virginia, uh, particularly along the coast in the marshes. Um, I've seen them down in North Carolina, uh, down in Ocracoke Island. I've seen some of them. Uh, and uh, they're definitely a big problem. Okay, that's a, a, an invasive species that's causing damage to the ecosystem. Uh, well, starlings. Uh, Starlings are uh, not native to North America. They were bought here in the 1890s. Um, they outcompete native birds. They're the ones that you see in the big flocks in the winter, the huge flocks of blackbirds. Are they one of the ones that are in there? They're fairly, actually, not unattractive little birds, but they're just are huge numbers of them. Actually, huge numbers. When they roost in large numbers, they poop on everything underneath. It's a real problem. Aquatic plants, Eurasian loose milfoil, completely uh, clogging canals down in the southern states. Uh, hard to get rid of. Purple loose stripe looks very pretty, but it again it uh, will uh, just completely take over an ecosystem. Hydrilla. Go over to uh, Wallermere, Waller Mill Park. Look down in the shallow water. You'll see all of these plants down in there. This is a hydrilla. It's not a native plant. Zebra mussels. Zebra mussels uh, brought into the Great Lakes in 1988. They're filter feeders. Uh, they will attach to the. Did you see the video on Lake Erie and uh, your one or two labs? Okay. Uh, zebra mussels. Uh, they're. they're uh, Obviously, a problem, and you can see that they have spread. Started in the Great Lakes only, they've now spread through the Mississippi River drainage. Uh, there's a great fear that they would get over into this area uh, as well. Uh, the Nile perch in East Africa, okay, they were introduced uh, as a food source. Nile perch, there's the size of a Nile perch. That'd yeah, be great food, I guess, if you catch one. But what they're doing is they are completely wiping out all these smaller fish species that have been long known to live in, in uh, Lake Victoria. Um, they're called cichlids. If you go to a pet store, you can buy cichlids for aquariums at home. Okay, the Nile perch are destroying those. Rabbits in Australia. They were introduced there again. They had no predators. This is what they, this was in uh, 1938. This was what, there were so many rabbits. They caused erosion, they ate all the food. Uh, the heat native, uh, they just tried shooting them, fencing them, noising them. Finally, what they've done is they've introduced a fungal, a, 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 a viral disease, which helps control the population. But, you know, again, invasive species. There's nothing invasive about a rabbit here, because this is where they normally live. This is where their predators are. But you put them in a whole new world, a new whole new area. Kudzu, okay? This is what kudzu will grow up and over everything. It'll grow right over a house, given the opportunity. It was originally brought here as animal feed, primarily. Um, not really, people are trying to figure out what to do with this stuff. Brown tree snakes in Guam. They were brought in from Asia. Uh, they're harmless, really. They act aggressive, but they're pretty harmless. But what they do is they, uh, the native birds on Guam, uh, there were no snakes on Guam. And so birds uh, did not have to, you know, defenses against snakes or reptiles because there, there weren't any. And they basically, many species of bird on Guam have now disappeared because of the, the, this uh, snake. They even get into power transformers and cause power outages. 
know, so they're, they're trying to eradicate them, but no, this is not an easy thing to do. Uh, fire ants, of course. Okay, uh, so this shows you uh, where the red dots are. It shows you where they have been found in Virginia so far. This is what happens when you get stung by them. They're very aggressive ants. Their venom is the same as uh, bee venom. So if you're allergic to bee stings, you're allergic to this also. They swarm what they do, basically. When the nest is disturbed, they just, hundreds of them come out and they just get on you and they crawl up and down and they sting. Okay, and then there's overexploitation. Uh, this has become a problem uh, in fishing. You know, there's fish that now you used to be able to buy in the store routinely that it's really hard to find anymore because they've been overfished. Build dams, okay, that's going to affect the ecosystems. Now, we use them for flood control and hydroelectric power. But this was the Three Gorges Dam here in China that was recently built. And there was a large area above the dam now where they actually had to relocate people. And, and of course, all of that habitat was lost. You look at Hoover uh, uh, Dam and Glen Canyon Dam on the Colorado River, uh, lots of habitat lost. Those. And then, of course, there's fire. Fire. Uh, now, fire is a natural uh, activity. Uh, and uh, I don't know how many of you know that there's a fairly large fire uh, over on uh, near Skyline Drive in Virginia going on right now. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah. It's, uh, in fact, there was an article yesterday from the, what, the, uh, the National Park over there. And they, they said that they're, you know, when they first started, it was just too intense for them to attack directly. So what they have to do is what you do when you these fires is you back up and you build fire breaks and you try to you know, try to contain it and then you just have to let it burn out in the area where it is because you, you can't you can't stop it uh, and that's what they're doing and now this fires are not all bad okay in, in these ecosystems the problem is there's not been a fire there for many many years there's a lot of fuel on the ground so you get a much more intense fire uh, fires are normal I mean, most habitats are, are fairly routine um, and when they happen regularly, there's not that much fuel, they don't burn that hot, and they uh, trigger uh, release of seeds, uh, uh, stimulate flowering, fruiting, and so on. Uh, they open cones, there's a type of pine called the jack pine out west, that the cones only open and release the seeds when there's been a fire. They're, they're fire adapted. Okay? There are many plants that are fire adapted. Um, and so, but, so fire is uh, not necessarily bad, but it can be, uh, depending on how severe it is. Uh, we know that Native Americans used fire to maintain the prairie. They periodically burn parts of the prairie in order to, uh, and then you get lots of new fresh grass coming up. And, uh, that was a, a typical use. We know in Australia that the Aborigines there use fire to, uh, there, uh, fire has been used by humans in many, many ecosystems. And so this is uh, some of the fire-dependent ones, tall grass prairies, which we don't have much anymore. This is, uh, there are some small areas of tall grass prairie. In the Midwest, when people first came to this country, the tall grass prairies, the grass was so tall that it would, a, a, a rider on a horse the horse would be almost un invisible in the tall grass. It was that tall. There's almost none of that left. We plowed it all under and planted stuff. Okay. There are a few areas where there's been some preserve. Uh, Southern California, boy, there's a fire community. Chaparral, those are shrubby. They have volatile oils in them. It is built for fire. It's no wonder Southern California has a fire problem. It's an ecosystem that is a fire-adapted ecosystem. And then we live there and we build and, you know, and then we get upset when there's a problem, but that's the kind of ecosystem there is. Uh, the ponderosa pine, okay, southern pines. Uh, so there, even this part of the Alaskan forest, uh, fire is a, is a normal part of those ecosystems. So when we suppress fires, when we do have one, it's much worse than it would be. Uh, you get increased erosion. 
uh, and you know, it become a real problem. So in many areas uh, now in national forest land, they would like to let them, they like they rather would let them just burn. But sometimes you can't because they may impact the property, human property, human lives, and then they have to do something about that. Okay, so this is just a few of the things that are impacting uh, diversity. Um, and I've got one other thing I'm going to show you very quickly to kind of drill down into a little more uh, detail. This is from, uh, used to have a student over at uh, Vince who would come over here. Uh, she's not there anymore. Uh, she would, would, went to Antarctica each uh, for a couple of summers, Antarctic summers, not our summers. Uh, and they were studying, it was part of a long-term ecological research. One of the problems with most ecological research, you can go out and you can study something for a year or two, but what happens over 10 years? What happens over 20 years? You know, we, uh, we don't know. Now, there's a long-term ecological uh, project in Virginia. It's over on the eastern shore. Um, can't think of the name of the town, but it's uh, operated by uh, UVA, actually operates it. Uh, in the summer, that place is just crowded with researchers. Okay, uh, and what they do is they collect data every day, all year round, for years and years. Okay. So, down in Antarctica, she would go down there, um, and uh, these are where all the different locations are right now. So there's the one right here, the Virginia Coastal one right here. Um, and she was going to Palmer Station on Antarctica. Okay, so this is Antarctica. Uh, these are all the different research stations or relatively different kinds of stations that are down there. You can see all the different countries that have them. Uh, McMurdo is the big one that the U.S. started. Uh, it's our first one there, and then we have one right at the South Pole. But then we also have the Palmer Station, okay, uh, right, which is over here on this, on this coastline. Not very big. That's it. Okay, so they would be spending like six, eight weeks down there in the, the Antarctic summer, living in, in that environment. Everything they need has to be brought in every year. Nothing there, okay? All their food, their fuel, everything has to be brought in. Uh, just a view of it at night. There's the ship that came in in the summer to offload uh, the uh, you know, supplies. Okay, so that's what they're doing here. They're offloading supplies. It's an NSF-funded uh, location. Uh, one year, the ice didn't go out soon enough, and they, the ship could not get all the way to the dock. They actually had to uh, drag stuff across the ice to get to the station. Okay, so west of Antarctic Peninsula, um, it's a polar marine biome. So they're interested in the marine part, what's going on in the ocean. Seabirds, uh, uh, zooplankton, and so on, uh, microbial. And so, what she was involved in, <clears throat> so here's Palmer Station. They would go out on a ship and they would go to each of these locations. They would be, have a, uh, a, a geo reference point using GPS. They would go to the exact same spot and they were doing ocean sampling at every one of these locations for the summer and collecting that data. You don't have time to analyze it all. You just Collecting data, a lot of it analyzed later. Okay, uh, and so this actually shows a little bit of a climate gradient here. Uh, this is warmer and moister on this side, cold and dry here as the water passes over the land. So you can see that there's some changes in the uh, in, uh, surface air temperature over time, and the amount of ice has declined, just like what's happening in the Arctic. Uh, and so, what they uh, since the ice normally comes in right up to the land, and then in the summer it melts and it moves back out, the organisms that live there have to their life cycles have to be tied to the ice because that's you know that, that's a reality of their environment. Uh, there's a circumpolar current that goes all the way around Antarctica, connects all of the ocean basins. It says it takes eight years for it to go. Now, so that's again their study area is right along a portion of that. Now, 
Uh, CHLA is chlorophyll A. Chlorophyll A is the primary chlorophyll in, in, uh, in phytoplankton. They found that there was a decrease in the northern area of the study area, an increase in the southern area. Uh, krill, this is krill, were decreasing, especially around the peninsula area. This is again showing you some of the, uh, the study sites here. This is uh, krill showing you whether there's a decrease or an increase. It's mostly a decrease. And then this is uh, the salps, that's these things right here, which are most like jelly. Uh, you notice that they're increasing in the same areas. The uh, penguin populations, uh, there are three different types of penguins. Uh, there's definitely a decline in one. The other two are increasing. Uh, it would appear that the, the, the climate change is affecting them and the ice availability and the thrill availability. These are just some of the different penguins there. And so what they were studying is uh, zooplankton. They would uh, deploy nets, bring, bring on board what they had. Um, and uh, so this is what their day was like. They put these big tow nets behind the ship, they would tow it. And they would bring it on board. You can see this is not that, some of the organisms they brought in. Uh, you can see this is a fairly dangerous working environment. And there's no railing back here. Um, they have to wear the, the orange suits, or in case somebody goes overboard, you got to find them right now, or they're dead. Okay. Um, and, and so uh, they uh, work with uh, some pretty heavy equipment. This is what the krill are like. This is what penguins eat. This is what uh, seals eat, this is what whales eat, their primary food. <coughs> so, Antarctic krill. Antarctic krill are dependent on the ice. Because when you find in the winter, if you drill a hole in the ice, there's no krill. But if you go through the hole as a diver and look underneath, there's krill all along underneath the ice. They're feeding on, on uh, the uh, phytoplankton that are getting light through the ice enough to grow and they're feeding on that on the underside of the ice. So if you don't have ice, you don't have any, you have less krill. Okay. This is a uh, whale feeding. They come to the surface like this. They're filter feeders, a lot of the whales. Uh, some of the seals over there. Again, these eat, uh, they feed on krill or they may feed on fish that eat the krill. Or if you're a leverage seal, you feed on penguins. Okay, some of the penguin species. These are not the big emperor penguins that you see in uh, you know, all the movies that went out. These are some much smaller penguins. Uh, so the uh, krill are the uh, key to many to the diet. Uh, and so what they wanted to see was what was happening. Uh, both in the zooplankton and what they call sinking particle flux. Sinking particle flux is poop. It's going down to dropping that, that nutrients going down into the water. Uh, and this has carbon, and so this is a, a, a carbon sink, essentially. And they were trying to measure that. Um, so these are the sinking particles. Uh, bacteria use them, zooplankton use them. Um, okay, so it's poop's important. Uh, one of the things they were measuring. Salps are replacing krill. Uh, these, uh, they make large compact pickle pellets, and these tend to sink all the way to the ocean floor. Uh, there was a swarm of salp that was covered 100,000 kilometers, transporting 400 tons of carbon a day to the seafloor, where it's less available for sea life. Okay, so they're looking at carbon emissions. Uh, and uh, you know, this is just a, uh, a look at some of the research that's going on. And you, when you do the research over long time periods, you begin to get some idea of what's happening. But you, you need long-term research. It's hard to get funding for long-term research. So that's why the US established these long-term research locations. And they get funded every year uh, through the NSF. Because if you don't know what's going on in the long term, you really don't understand what's happening. So I wanted to get, uh, give you a, a look at what some of the things that are threatening biodiversity, some of the things that are happening to the planet. 
it is uh, more than an academic exercise because it's going to impact your life in the future. It's important that you learn about it, right? because it is going to have an impact. Uh, whether there can be climate changes, uh, we don't know what all they are going to be at this point. You know how we are as humans, like you are with your, with probably with all your homework. You know, until it's not, unless it's due tomorrow, it's not a crisis. <laughs> okay, you know, it is, okay, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Okay, but, but that's the way we are with a lot of things. And until it really is impacting us, we don't treat it as serious. And then it becomes a crisis at the last minute. It would be nice if we could avoid that. So I so wanted you to get a little feel for some of the things that are, that are going on. Okay, um, okay exam on uh, 